This is the Herb Mendelssohn Story. Episode 5, The Next Generation, Part 2. Here are Herb's great-grandchildren, Ariel and Jacob, with a little help from their aunt, Hannah Levine. I'm Jacob. And how old are you? Three. And Three and a half, Jacob. Three and a half. Three and a half. I'm Arielle. I'm six and a half. So he likes to read, like, everything. And he likes to read magazines, notebooks. He likes to read newspapers. Once he even showed me some kinds of dogs on a newspaper. Was that silly? Yeah. We always like to go to his house on Shabbat dinner. Me too. What do you like about going to his house on Shabbat dinner, Jacob? Hala. Ariel likes hala. And grape juice. And grape, grape juice. juice. Can you tell me anything? They always give us sometimes treats. Mafil does too. Is there anything else you can say about Zadie? Mm, I love him. That's a good thing to say. Jacob, can you say anything else about Zadie? I love you, Zadie Hardy. Next up, Herb's granddaughter, Zoe. The first thing that definitely comes into my mind is that as far as I can remember, as far back as I can remember, every time he sees me, he greets me with this little jingle that he's made up for my name where he goes, Zoe, Zoe, Zoe. And he'll just like walk around his house singing that. He was obsessed with Flight of the Bumblebees, so... He's always been trying to get me to learn that. I always like pick it up, but it's a very, very hard song. And I'm not in practice of violin anymore, so it doesn't work out very well. But he's always, so he's really, really musical, always trying to like get us to be creative and do our musical things. But then also he will just like throw news articles in our faces and be like, read about this and read about this. And when I was an art history major in undergrad, he came up to me. He's like, look at all my medical journals. They have art on the front of them. Read that. And He's just, he's a goofy guy. He's like the epitome of like a sweet old man. (laughs) We were around them at their house as much as we could. And he always still found a way to sneak in some learning about medical things. Because like at Shabbat dinners, we'd all, all the little kids, we'd be ready to go to bed or something or want to watch a movie. So they'd all bring us up to our grandparents' bedroom and put on a movie and he'd go, all right, I filmed this one myself. And then it'd be a video of a surgery. So even if we didn't go to work with him, he brought the work with us. And he has this little, like in his office, he has this light that's made for x-rays. And so we'd always go and like play with that and play with the x-rays. And I'm sure he was loving it, but hating it at the same time because we were touching all of his x-rays. He's a big prankster in general, but he had this one great joke where when a person goes gets put under anesthetic, it's oftentimes they avoid their bowels. And he kept a little thing of peanut butter in his pocket. And one day it happened and he smeared some of it on his hand. And the nurses were all like, oh, Dr. Mendelssohn, let's get you cleaned up. Let's get the patient cleaned up. And he goes, no, no that's okay. And then just licks his hand. And <laughs> so everyone's like, Oh my God. And he was just laughing his butt off. (laughs) So 
he always would have a camcorder going. Like, he had his big, like, giant old-school camcorder. And this is when my dad was growing up. It was one of the stories he told me that he and his friends were out biking or something. I don't know. Somebody fell, and they popped a shoulder out of place. And my grandpa rolls up in his minivan with the camcorder, and he's, like, recording me, like, oh, what's going on now? Which is exactly, like, what Stevie would do. So I see... The resemblance where Stevie goes up to his kids and is like, so tell me about your day so far. What's your name? What's going on? Exact straight from Zadie. So he'd roll up at his camcorder and be like, tell me what's going on. Who hurt yourself? What'd you do? And then my dad was getting annoyed being like, he needs a shoulder in place. And somebody like, grandpa just put the camcorder down, popped it in place and then left. <laughs> he would go out of his way to do anything for his brothers and sisters and that still shows even though two of his siblings have passed. He'll still do everything that he can for their kids. Even if it gets frustrating for other people, he doesn't care. It doesn't even affect him. He just wants to be there and be that support system for whoever needs it. And I know for sure he's put cousins through med school and gotten them into places and gotten them on paths of life that just like a positive trajectory rather than either just like, even just like plateauing in life. He just changed their life and made it just that much better. the sweetest guy like you go around and he's just always smiling he always wants to hear what everybody has to say he always wants to know what's going on in the world and you see a lot of people that when they get to their older age like they don't care like they're like it's not how it used to be so it's fine or it's it's whatever and like when I remember the first iPhone came out he bought himself one and he bought one for my cousin Max so that Max could learn it and then teach him how to use it and I just I mean it just shows like that's who he is he just always wants to be up to date and learning things and talking to people and connecting. I do know that he definitely dealt with a lot of hard things growing up, and that's probably what shaped him into being such a kind, caring man. But I mean, he's he's always there to help. Even after, his, I think it was his father that was a hoarder, their house, when they were cleaning up, was going to get like fined by the city and impounded, or not impounded, that's cars. You know what I'm trying to say. It was all going to get thrown away and everything and he's the one that was like able to go in there and clear things up and clear out the house so like even after this person that like wasn't great to him growing up and died a hoarder left this whole mess like he was still like the one that's charitable enough to like spend his time doing it and going through everything and in all honesty he probably enjoyed it because he does like his share of junk in the basement so he probably had fun picking through things And now, Herb's granddaughter, Shira. I hang out with my father a lot. And you can definitely see some traits of my grandfather in my father. There's definitely an element of comedy, but he also has the offensive humor, which can be funny to some people. (laughs) I know that my Zadie Herbie, he has a lot of books, and he's shown me some of the books, and it's like 10 reasons why lawyers are worse than doctors. And that type of humor. And it's funny to people who get it, unlike me. But, you know, it's a lot to learn from him. And then those jokes do end up getting funnier. And he's funny, because I have lots of Passover stories. Every time the bitter herbs would come around, we would all look at him, because his name's Herb. And there's some great stories from that. We wanted to scan all of his documents after the flood of, like, 2014. So Carl was like, we'll scan it and we'll put it on the internet. 
So he did that, but he didn't know how to do it. And then Carl gave him like a step-by-step on what to do. And he just like scanned so many documents and got through so many things. And you know, it's interesting, you know, you lay out a property for him and he can get it done. Sadie Herbie was a great guy. He did stuff for other people that some people don't even recognize how much he did for them. That were honestly so great. I had the utmost respect and I loved him. Herb's granddaughter, Miriam. So I have a lot of memories about Zadie Herbie from Auntie Marilyn's pool. He used to take us to the pool a lot when we were little. And I remember the pool looked enormous. And when you would stand on Zadie Herbie's shoulders, you felt so tall. And you could stand on his shoulders. And then on the count of three, he would throw you into the water. Or there was a pool, like a volleyball or beach ball that was uh, shaped like a globe. And so we would sing She's Got the Whole World in Her Hands. And... There was also something where he used to spin us around and it was like round and round she goes, inch by inch, step by step. That also ended up uh, where you got thrown into the water. And so I have a lot of memories essentially of being in the water and playing in the swimming pool with Zadie. Um, When I was little, wearing those water wings and I just remember having a whole lot of fun with that. And even at Michigania, I remember him taking me sometimes to South Beach because um, we both like to go swimming. And so that was always a lot of fun. I also remember a lot of times going to the hospital with Zadie. And he would always tell us that it would just be a quick trip that I would go see just a couple patients. And it was never actually a quick trip. Um, and I would usually be very tired and hungry by the end. But I learned all his jokes that he used to have for the patients. I still use this one with my patients sometimes where he would say to somebody before he would reduce a fracture, this isn't going to hurt me one bit. And it always worked because it confused the patient for just long enough for him or her to be distracted while Zadie would reduce the fracture. And the pain of that actual reduction would be lost in the, the patient trying to make sense of the sentence. Then the patient would inevitably crack up and then they would say hey you fixed it so that was always kind of fun and he used to do uh, the other one he used to use a lot was do you feel more like you do now than you did then and um, he also used to say a lot take the rest of the morning off that one I also sometimes use with patients and it brings a smile and um So I remember rounding at the hospital and you could never keep up with him because he always walked so quickly. You had to kind of jog alongside him. And the patients and the nurses always seemed to love him. So that was always fun, even if you were kind of tired. I think when I was in high school was the first time that I actually went to the operating room with him. And I remember I really didn't want to go because I think I had a bit of a cold and I was tired and I didn't really want to get up and get moving. But I remember I did, and I thought it was so cool that I finally got to wear scrubs. Um, Though I remember it was a little bit boring to be in the operating room where you couldn't actually see everything because you had to be worried about not contaminating the sterile field. 
But it was still pretty cool at the end of the day. I said, wow, I was in a surgery. And I remember the weight of the lead apron and watching the x-rays as they um, monitored the progress of, say, joint replacement. And one time, actually, my best friend Erica came with, and we both went um, to the operating room together with him, and that was kind of fun, too. We are blessed to have two little ones. Ariel is currently six and a half in first grade, and Jacob is four, and he's in the most private, prestigious preschool right now, which is the Aunt Hannah Preschool. Uh, he formerly attended Temple Emmanuel. And um, Zadie, um, in general, seemed to relate most to kids who are a little bit older, but with Ariel and Jacob, he seems to relate to them more than he had previously, at least that I had noticed with littler kids. Um, with Jacob, he noticed that Jacob went through a phase where he loved to sweep. And so he would give Jacob the broom and have him try to sweep things for him. And I remember him reading the Louis Pasteur book to them. Uh, this must have been probably about a year ago. We have a book about Louis Pasteur and I knew it would be kind of fun and... Um, he made sure to save a copy of Mary Poppins because he thought that Ariel would really love it and he wanted to make sure that he got to show it to her. The thing that always struck me from the time I was little about both Zadie and Mama Phil was always generosity. And I think part of this was Mama Diane was always very explicit in pointing it out when I was little you know, look at what they do. And it became something that was uh, a role model for me. You know, I looked at how, you know, certain people reached a point where they might not be able to afford their home or where they needed to move. And, you know, in some families, you might, you know, give them some extra money at a holiday or a birthday. Mama Phil and Zadie, they bought houses. You know, they bought cars. There were people who were having trouble getting into medical school. They facilitated that. Their pocketbook was open, but it was more than that. It was that their hearts were open and they wanted to help. And it was never with the expectation of anything in return. It was just all about helping other people. I am an infectious disease doctor. I am associate program director for the Infectious Disease Fellowship at Ascension St. John. And I also am assistant, I think it's assistant professor, full-time affiliate at Wayne State. The place where I see Zadie's influence on my practice most strongly is in trying to cheer patients up, make them feel comfortable, put them at ease. That's probably where it comes through the most and his enthusiasm for medicine. So I recently had a patient for whom I cared who um, apparently has been very pleased in general with his care, though he did specifically mention my name and provided a very generous donation to the Department of Medicine to establish a uh, research facility that's going to allow us to really start some serious clinical trials. And we're very excited about that. And I'd like to think that Zadie played a role in my bedside manner and in how I related to that patient. I think what I always took away from Zadie was about working hard. You know, Zadie was not the top of his medical class, but he worked hard. He worked very hard. Apparently, he used to moonlight even as an orthopedic resident, which at that time especially was virtually 
impossible because you were already taking call like almost every second night enthusiasm you know and whether or not you go into medicine you know hopefully if you can find something that you love doing learning how to make people patients feel comfortable and how that is important love of reading and most importantly really just the generosity and about helping other people helping your family and you know later on I've seen some of the really cool stuff like we got that thank you letter that was shown to the family from a gentleman who later became a physician but who had been turned away from from care because of the color of his skin and Zadie didn't care Zadie cared for him and then Zadie said I don't care if you don't have any money just pay for it one day you know go be a great doctor and he did become a successful doctor and he later wrote Zadie I think you know that's pretty cool that's a side of Zadie that I didn't ever you know experience per se you know of course I never you know of course Zadie would care for anybody but you know the idea of you know sort of standing against racism or prejudice wasn't something that was as highlighted you know in my growing up experience so it was sort of cool to see that Zadie had in that way kind of stood on the right side of history and done the right thing I thought that was really cool and last but not least Herb's granddaughter Hannah my name is Hannah Rose and my grandfather loves music so he the only way he greets me for most of my growing up was Hannah Rose oh Hannah Rose and he would make up little songs and it always had to be um kind of musical and uh my whole family they're the only ones that can call me Hannah Rose (laughs) but um he really loved that and so he made it really special to have like two first names (laughs) almost um so and he would just pull up music all the time um like oh have you heard this song it's from you know 1939 you're like no but here it was playing for you especially once he got an iphone um he got an iphone he got my brother an iphone at the exact same time so that he could teach him how to use it so um he was early in that exploration he's always been into technology so he um he got an iPhone and an iPod and any other technology where he could just put on whatever music and that would be there all the time. I learned that he loved to dance and loves to dance, but I guess for most of my life he's had different aches and pains and kind of let the dancing to someone else. But more recently, um, like last summer, we went to a party at Comerica Park, um, this big, I think it was an Ahi party, um, and he spent hours just dancing to the band, and he was like, oh, I love dancing, (laughs) and I just had no idea, but now that I think back, I think, you know, he actually danced quite a lot, and I guess people think of him as, oh, the strong, strong guy. I didn't know him when he was so strong, but um, dancing, you could see kind of strength in that in a kind of more beautiful way, a lot more delicate kind of strength. But, you know, he'd swing my grandmother around um, around the dance floor in these really kind of big sweeping motions, and he's a little jittery. He's not a great dancer, but he really likes it, so you can see that it's good.
We grew up five houses down the street, so my whole life I lived there. People tell me I would walk down the street and they'd kind of watch for me to make sure I got there okay, because, you know, what could happen in five houses? Oh, no. So he would stand out and wait for me to get there. I remember once I, I would run there barefoot because I was not smart. Like, I stubbed my toe one time, and he came out, you know, with every medical tool he owns. He has everything upstairs in his office, and he's, like, giving people casts in his office upstairs just because, oh, I'll just come over. You can fix it. So a stubbed toe was, like, a big deal, even though it wasn't really, but it felt like it. You know, you're, like, five years old, and you stub your toe, and he takes really good care, like, wrapping it up, putting it all nice... And you're like, oh, man, I should have worn my flip-flops. And they're like, no, probably should have just worn shoes, but it's fine. <laughs> but uh, he was there for that. I don't know if anyone's talked about his famous sweatshirt that has uh, every single person in the family, all his grandkids. And every couple of years, he'd get a new one. And very recently, Faye made him a new one that uh, includes his great-grandchildren, my niece and nephew, And uh, he wears that all the time. And for a while, before he had a new one, he put a post-it note with their names of the people who didn't, who weren't on that sweatshirt yet, because he had to make sure that everyone was included. Um, And he wanted everyone to know just how many grandkids he had. And they all, we all live really close, dozens of cousins. We used to have a float in the 4th of July parade. So he, he wears that always. And he, he'd wear it to like fancy events. Like, we'd have Shabbat dinner at the house for someone's bat mitzvah, and he'd be wearing it. You'd be like, you're supposed to be wearing, like, a tie. But no, he'd wear that sweatshirt. So that was really special, and he still wears those sweatshirts kind of in rotation. For my whole life, he was always in scrubs. I can't really picture him in almost anything else. It's just he wears scrubs. And that is his uniform. Even when he stopped going to work as much or he didn't go in every day he was always wearing scrubs for a while I don't think I knew he had other clothes like I didn't think he had jeans or something and even now he goes in well now he doesn't go in because of coronavirus but even now when he goes in twice a week the other days he's still wearing scrubs and I guess they just are comfortable they're like pajamas but people see him in scrubs and you know there's a sense of oh that guy's a Hotshot, he's a doctor, and I think he really liked that. I guess I would call him kind of fiery and intellectual, which is maybe they don't go together, but they do in him somehow. So he is really passionate about different things. I have so many memories of him being like, oh, I learned this thing, and let me hand it to you this reading, here, read this, all the time. Just here, read this. Because he'd find almost anything interesting and he'd get really excited about it and want everyone to know about it. So that, I guess, combines it. He, If you didn't want to read it right then, which, you know, you'd be in the middle of dinner, you'd be talking with your friends or your cousins and, here, read this. And you're like, no, I don't want to read that right now, Zadie. And he's like, no, read it. And he, he's persistent. So I would say that's the fiery intellectual side of him. He always wants you to learn something also. More recently, I was in a car accident and had everyone was safe and fine, but I was really emotional about it. I kept getting really anxious about it, and I was dealing with the insurance companies, and it was really overwhelming. And one day, I just came over there bawling, just crying so hard. And my grandmother is really bad at like taking people who are sad. She starts crying, and she's like, "Oh no, it's horrible!" And 
Mary Jo and Jerry Heft were there and they were like, oh, she needs a hug. And my grandpa, he was like, no, we're going upstairs. And he had me go fix a toilet. And he's like, if you're technical and you're focusing on something else and you fix a toilet, like you're learning something, you're distracting yourself, it's better this way. And I think that's the first time I realized that maybe that's why he was so technical. It was more about distraction than anything else. I mean, he also liked it. For me, fixing a toilet was not that fun. It wasn't a great distraction, but he was really excited about it. So I think he's he when he's excited about something, he wants you to be excited about it also. And he wants to help, and his way of helping maybe isn't exactly what you need, but it kind of gets you there anyways. So, like, fixing a toilet took, like, 45 minutes. In the end, it wasn't fixed. But in the end, I wasn't crying anymore. I wasn't hysterical. And I was able to then call the insurance company back and be like, okay, we can talk again. I guess I would say I'd want future generations to know that he set the family up to be... A family. I think before him and before his relationship with Phyllis, I don't think the family would have become what it has become and hopefully will continue to be. We're truly a unique family. Everyone lives in the same city as of now. Every People leave and then they come back. And I don't think that that would have happened without him. So that's what I would say is most important. <laughs> The Herb Mendelson Story is a production of Tribal Knowledge Podcasting. The executive producer is Jeremy Shear. The associate producer is Hannah Levine. 